0: Kathy always seems so thrilled when I'm here, but I can't tell you that I'm the one that's thrilled when she calls me and asks me to come because she is my dear friend and this is one of my favorite places to be. Um, and this year I brought my daughter and I even brought my granddaughter, Janie, so that I can finally show them this church and these people that I talk about so much. So I'm happy to be here. And I'm, and then on top of all that, I get to teach this amazing Chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah Ever since Kathy called me and told me what the theme was um, I have been lost in the study of it I love the research, I love the history I love gathering all the information, reading commentaries What I love most about teaching the Bible is the, the studying part I'd actually just like to study for somebody else and give them my notes and let them do it um, but as I did all this, I, I, just became so lost in its beauty. Um, I was majored in English in college. My mother was an English teacher. I just have a love of words and language and even the sentence structure of this chapter and the, the cadence. I, I challenge you to go home and read it aloud and just listen to the, the beauty of it. And it's, meaning and its message and, of course, its relevance to the days we are living in now. But finally, after all the study and all the looking at the words and thinking how they're beautiful everything was, I had to put all my papers away and just sit quietly and read it again for maybe like the 50th time and allow it to sink into my soul and to give me the rest that I was longing for and the comfort that I needed and to flood my spirit with hope and stir up my passion for the Lord again. So open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. <clears throat> if you know me, I love to have everything start with the same letter. So um, it is about comfort. It's also about consolation. It's your God my God, calling to you and I, his chosen people, to Judah, his chosen nation. Cries that, that challenge, that correct. Cries that call for a fresh commitment. Cries that encourage us to change. Cries that reach out to our confusion and bring us comfort. Cries that constrain us, confront us. Cries that call me to confession, the cries of my Savior, who found me, saved me, loved me, carries me in his arms, and confounds me still 50 years later with his love. If you know your Bible, and I know that you, uh, this is Joe Fosha's church, so I'm pretty sure you know your Bible, chapter 40 is a message to Israel and Judah. And prior to chapter 40, just let me be a little bit academic with you for a minute. Um, the 39 chapters of Isaiah, if you were to sit and read them, although they had some glimpses of comfort, they were mostly really just about Isaiah confronting God's people with the terrible, unbelievable sin and idolatry and debauchery they had fallen into. Even... Historians say sacrificing their own children to the god Molech. They had aligned themselves with foreign powers. They were worshiping the foreign powers' gods. They were in a terrible state. And Isaiah called, like many others, like Jeremiah, like Habakkuk, called to be a prophet God's chosen people and to the nation. So for 39 chapters, not that he was speaking in chapters, but he's crying out to them and someone is recording and asking them, warning them, telling them to come back, to get away from their sin, to come back to the Lord and warning them that if they did not, God was going to bring a severe and unbelievable correction to this chosen nation of his, which he did warning them over and over and over again and then sending the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and the Syrians to come in to his chosen people and to conquer their cities and to burn their, their precious, unbelievably beautiful temple to slaughter their people and to carry God's chosen people away to Babylon, where they were held prisoner for 70 years. I read a description from some historian that it was a 500-mile walk for these prisoners to be taken from Judah um, to Babylon through the hot desert and that it was gruesome and horrible and many people died on the way. But they went and many of them arrived and they stayed there for 70 years. And now in this chapter... Isaiah before was prophesying about where they were. Now Isaiah is prophesying into the future, a hundred years into the future. He now, and the word of God to him must have been overwhelming that he would bring this message to them, but it would be read a hundred years later when these people needed to come home, where they needed to be comforted, and they needed the courage to get out of Babylon because this King Cyrus arises, and he's going to let them go. And so he writes chapter 40 to remind them of who their God is. And he proclaims this message of hope and light to them, a word of comfort, a cry of victory, promise, plan for their provision, Telling them that they can come home. And how fitting that this beautiful chapter would begin with the word comfort. Now, comfort's kind of a buzzword today. There's comfort food. There's, I noticed during lockdown, everybody, Amazon, everybody was selling comfort clothing, clothing that you could, you didn't, you weren't going anywhere, so you might as well really be comfortable in what you had. I mean, sweats sold out at Costco because everybody was buying them. Um, there's all kinds of comfort things that we, Think of, I have a chair in my living room that is my place of comfort in the morning. I get up. I'm an early riser. I get up at 430 or five and I want to be there all by myself with my cup of coffee, with my fuzzy socks and my fireplace lit in the winter. We do have winter in California, if you didn't realize that. And, and that is my area of comfort. And I don't know what comforts you if it's, if it's food or people. Um, I know I am comforted when it rains. I love the sound of it. I'm comforted by, I answer my phone and it's my husband Michael's voice. I am comforted when my children with their children and their children are in my house. I am comforted by flannel pajamas. I don't know about you, and and I could recommend this to you. I think there's a whole movement in this country that I am now starting here in Philadelphia. It's called a Double Pajama Day, and what you do is, and I did this all through COVID, the Double Pajama Day. You get up in the morning. You have on your pajamas, right? Okay, you don't you don't get out of your pajamas. You stay in your pajamas all day. You go nowhere. You see nobody. You just sit around in your pajamas. I mean, I love that. I mean, when the lockdown came, I went, I've been, I'm an introvert. I'd been practicing for this my whole life. (laughs) You mean I don't have to go anywhere or talk to anybody or see anyone. So, okay, double pajama game. So you stay in your pajamas all day, and you might do stuff in your pajamas. You could clean your house. You could go in your backyard where nobody can see you or whatever. But then the double pajama part comes in where in the evening now, this is what I do. I take a long, hot bubble bath, and then I put on clean pajamas because I've been in those pajamas now for 24 hours and thus the double pajama thing and go back to sleep and then if I wanted to I could repeat it like the next day if I had (laughs) enough pajamas but that those kind of things they comfort me and he is calling and promising and speaking to them comfort in the midst of their discomfort courage when they're so discouraged He's going to bring this message to them that's going to make them able to do what God wants them to do. And the comfort that he's talking about is not a hollow, a silver lining kind of comfort. I'm always amazed at at Facebook. And I know I'm not supposed to do Facebook anymore. I'm supposed to do, what's it called? Instagram, because that's what all the young people are doing. But But anyway, I still look at Facebook and all these silly things that are on there. Have you ever noticed these things that people post? Today's going to be the best day of your life. Why? You don't know me? Why? you know? And, but people are looking at those things. That's kind of like the empty, hollow comfort that's coming from the things of the world. Um, it's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it kind of thing. It's not get over it and get on with it. It's not there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But this is real comfort. My dad used to tell me when I was little, you know, sometimes the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. I have found that to be true a lot in, in my life. So I'm not comforted by the light at the end of the tunnel. That does nothing for me. But real comfort. I love there's there's a psalm. I can't remember which one it is. It says, in the multitude of my anxieties, plural, your comforts, plural, delight my soul. God has a comfort for every anxiety you might be feeling. And he is now bringing his comfort to Judah, to his people, and how desperately they needed it, and how desperately they would need it in the future. Powerful message that he has for them, and I love that the way it begins in verse one. You have it if you don't want to get in your Bible. You have it printed out for you um, right here. Um, I love the first verse. Comfort, yes, comfort, and I love the personal pronouns. I, I like to diagram sentences. I don't know if anybody else liked that in school. I was really good at that. I love the word, the verbs, and the pro, I, I love all that. So anyway, I love the, the personal pronouns in this sentence. Comfort, my people, says your God. Isaiah is bringing this amazing, personal, specific message to his people. And he tells Isaiah to speak to the heart. Speak and cry out. The cry out means actually preach comfort to Jerusalem. And this is not a one time thing. This is a kind of verb in the original language that is, it's a continuously acting verb. It's almost like saying God is going to be comforting you from now on. Not just, comfort's not just going to arrive. He is comforting you. It is continuous. Comfort, yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry to her and speak to her heart. And this is the first thing that he cries out. And I love it that this is the first thing. Cry out that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. There, until you come to a place of cleansing and repentance and realizing that God died for your sins and that he can cleanse you and make you new again, that your warfare with yourself, with the world, has ended. And remember, Israel now, they, when they read this, they're taken into captivity a hundred years later. They lost the war with the Babylonians, but Isaiah says to them, now your warfare has ended. Ended and your iniquity, all the sin that brought you to this horrible situation is pardoned. God's rebellious, disobedient, prideful to the extreme, idol worshiping people had sinned against God, but the war now is ended. That's what happened when we, that's what happens when we get saved. The warfare is ended and our iniquities are pardoned and our debt. Is paid. That's the very first thing that happens. That's why you pray a prayer of repentance when you accept Christ, repenting of your sin. And her debt has been paid. And I thought this was so interesting because it says she has been paid double. Israel has been paid double for her sin. So I was trying to find out what this really meant, and there was a difference of opinion, but then I found out that there was this custom at that time in the Middle East, if you were in debt and you were unable to pay your debt, as Israel was, as you and I are with our own sin, we can't pay for it ourselves, they would post on your door, they would nail a paper that listed everything that you owed. And when it was nailed there, everybody knew that it was nailed there because you couldn't pay it and you hadn't pay it and you probably wouldn't pay it. And people were just humiliated by this. But then, sometimes, someone kind would come along, and they would pay the debt for that person. And the way that they would let people know that the debt had been paid, they would take that paper down, they would fold it over, and they would nail it back up to the door. Because the word doubled in this text really is folded. So Jesus Christ saw everything that you owed for your sin... And he took that paper and he folded it over and he paid for it all with his own blood and he nailed it to the door of your life and you owe nothing. A cry of pardon. You know, I think that um, we sometimes neglect the amazing gift that God offers to us, not once the price being paid, but on a continual daily basis. That we, we soft sell ourselves. Our sins, we think that they're okay. Um, we hide them, we think we'll deal with them later. Um, when this gift of confession that it just says simply, if you confess your sins, he's gonna forgive you. And we, we don't, I don't do that. So I'm pretty sure you don't do that as often as we should when this is so available to us and a moment to moment. Basis. I, I read this thing this woman wrote that said, you know, so far God. She's talking to God. She's praying in the morning. I, I've done pretty good. I didn't. I, I didn't kick the dog. I haven't yelled at my husband. You know, not, not upset with my kids yet. But pretty soon I'm going to have to get out of bed. And that's how <laughs> quickly sin just can come in like that, and, and and we let it go. Think about this. You and I, God's those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, we are the only people on the planet who can live guilt-free. We, God gives, we have the only solution to our sin, and that was Jesus Christ. So as you read this, intended for the nation of Judah at this time that her warfare was ended and her iniquity pardoned and that note of what she owed doubled over and nailed back up to the door, and I love the image of it. It was doubled over and it was nailed up there and then Jesus was nailed to the cross and it's, and it's all paid. I love the images and the word pictures that there are in this chapter. Comfort, not only for our eternal life, but for our human condition. I'm still a ruined sinner and um, I still need to avail myself of the beauty of this. Not just on a daily basis, but almost moment by moment. And then in the third verse... This cry of preparation, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this is just exactly what John the Baptist did. He came to prepare the way for Jesus Christ to be seen and to be known. The world at that time, I, Isaiah, this gift of prophecy and getting it right and nailing it every time is absolutely amazing. That that happened, that has now been fulfilled. That was the first coming, and because Jesus came, and because John the Baptist prepared his way, we have that comfort. <clears throat> Sometimes I, it's such I just know it so well that <clears throat> I forget about. That first coming, I, I always think about it a lot at Christmas when the Messiah came, Emmanuel, God with us. <clears throat> but I think I need to think about it more than just that. And that's what Isaiah is talking about right now, this first coming <clears throat> of the Messiah. Um, the Jews had hoped for this, were looking for this, but we are the ones that now know that it happened 2,000 years ago. And, and I love, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I was thinking about it like this, that the, what was it like in heaven on that day, on that day in heaven when Jesus stood up? He stood up from his throne. his throne, he divested himself of all his robes of righteousness, he laid down his crown of a king, he left the beauty of heaven and the presence of his father and the praises of the angels and he came here and he took on human flesh and he stood before John the Baptist and was baptized and he stood before the multitudes for that 3 years of his ministry and taught and healed and saved And then he stood quietly in the garden as he gave his will in submission to God's will. And he stood quietly as they came and arrested him. Then he stood before Pilate as he was tried and accused and sentenced to death. He stood for the beatings, for the scourgings. And then he stood on the cross and suffered and died. And was buried in a tomb. But here's the best part. But on the third day he stood up and he walked out. And solidified your salvation and mine. This God who came, Emmanuel, God with us. And now he stands before his father making intercession right at this moment for you and I. And he stands waiting right now from a word from the father that will say, Today's the day. Go get your church. Do you know that Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming? He's waiting to hear it from God the Father who holds the time in his hands. So it's a cry of preparation for him coming. It's a cry of of revelation of when he will come again the second time in verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And I love this. And all flesh shall see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken this and then in in the midst of all this cry of of preparation and cry of your warfare is ended and all the things that Isaiah is speaking now to them there's this there's this cry kind of of reality as Isaiah speaks of the, the the great contrast that there is between the 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 eternal and the temporal and the voice said cry out and it says what shall i cry and this is what he cries all flesh is like grass and all the loveliness of life is like the flower. And grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And we the people are like this grass. We're temporal. We're fragile. Now contrast with what he says next. He Here's the cry of the temporal, but here's the cry of, the etern- of eternity. But the word of the Lord is eternal. God's word is eternal. God's gospel cannot be contained. It cannot be uh, shut up. It it has power. God's word is eternal. It is released. Now there's another cry. And I love this in verse 9. This is a cry for you and I to make. Because now Isaiah tells them that this is what they should do. Get up to the high mountain, O Zion, God's people, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, lift it up, do not fear, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God, behold your God, God is here. Isaiah saying, get up there, lift up this message, speak up that God is here. Cry it out without fear, cry it with strength. And that is what we are to do. We are the criers now of this message. And the world right now, more than ever have I ever seen it, has incredible hungry hunger. They are desperate for the good news that you and I have. And we keep it to ourselves. And what's going on in our country, what's going on around the world, makes us kind of hesitant to be bold in our faith. But I think Isaiah is saying to this church and to my church and to all of you, get up to the top of the mountain and shout this out. God is here. Broadcast it from the mountaintop, you people of God, you couriers of good news, he tells them. Proclaim it in every way. Shout. Don't be afraid. Say to each other, look, God is here. And I don't know how often we do that. Several times in this chapter, Isaiah will use this phrase that I think is so interesting he will ask, have you not heard, and do you not know? But this verse makes me say, think, have you not heard, and do you not know? And who have you told? Who have you told about this God of ours? Then verse 10, 10 there's this cry of of his might. Uh, Minnie's going to talk about the beauty of God, his creation, his power, all that he did tomorrow morning, and you're going to love her. She's amazing. And I don't say that because I'm her mother, but... Um, I am her mother, <laughs> but, but she, she has a gift. I can't wait for you to hear her. But now this cry of might. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. Now Isaiah is talking, talked about when he, when he came um, as Messiah, when John prepared the way for him. Now he's talking about when he comes again. Behold, the Lord comes with might and with his arm ruling for him. And behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense is before him. This sovereign covenant God is coming again. We should be crying out about who he is. We should be crying out about his return. I think we're closer. These days, all the signs point to his soon coming back. Every month, I think, can it get any worse? And then it does. Um, but, but this is not cause, this should not be cause for you and I to be fearful or cause for you and I to be ashamed or cause for you and I to doubt. This should be cause for celebration. You know, I grew up under Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and he talked about prophecy all the time. And, and I know just what he would be talking about right now. He was going, this is the most exciting thing that there has ever been. We are now this close. It is going to happen this soon. And I love the vision of God's power that Isaiah gives to his people. This picture with a strong hand and an arm that rules. His reward is before him. I love the power of it. And when he comes back, I'm telling you, he's not coming as a babe in the manger. He's not coming as a lamb that was slain. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. He's coming. He's going to be roaring forth his power. He's coming to rule and reign. He's coming to judge and bring justice. And we know and have this message. Get up there. Start shouting about it. Behold. But then I love, look at the contrast of this. I love this. But behold, he says, as he talks about his power and his strong arms, he says, my shepherd, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. This same arm, that's the arm of power that he talked about in the verse before. Now this arm is the arm of a shepherd who is going to gather, reach down, and gather us into himself and hold us close to his chest and lead us before him. This cry of gentleness following the cry of power. This cry of a loving arm that ruled and declared God's might in verse 10 now reaches down into our lives and gathers us up. Draws us close to himself. Of all the portraits of Jesus, Jesus as the shepherd is my favorite. I love the image of it. I love the shepherd that carries the the sheep over his shoulders because they're heavy, but a lamb he picks up an injured lamb even, and he gathers them into his arm and he places them in the fold of his robe. Behold, verse 10 and 11, the loving, caring, tender shepherd. God's word is eternal. The message is ours to give. The prophecy of Isaiah, everything that he is writing comes unbelievably true. He was encouraging Enabling, emboldening, said a word, God's chosen people who would read it when they most need it to come home after 70 years. Now they're free to come home to rebuild the comfort of forgiveness, the pardon, the hope of the Messiah, the message proclaimed for you and I, this sure and eternal God's word with the message that he brings. To you and I. The message of strength. The message of his return. The message of his might. But the message of this tender shepherd. This tender shepherd who gathers his sheep. Just the word pictures from chapter 40 I think are so amazing. But I also want to close tonight and share with you just a brief little personal story about these verses and what they have meant to me in the last months. And and really, I, I don't want to make this about me, um, but I want to use a story about me and our family to show you the beauty of God's Word, that it's alive, that it's sure, that it's real, that it's supernatural, that it's life-giving, that it's Full of comfort. The way it can reach across the centuries. I mean, it reached from Isaiah's time a hundred years to the captives and brought them home. It reached across the centuries for John the Baptist to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah. But now this verse, these chapter, this chapter, these verses have reached across more than 2,000 years into my heart and took care of my hurts and my tragedy, brought me the help and the healing and the comfort that I needed because he brings light to our darkness and hope to our despair. Um, On January 23rd of this year, um, Mike and I were at home. It was kind of late in the evening, and we got a call from um, Scottsdale, Arizona, from the police department where my daughter Megan lives um, to to tell us, because she was unable to talk, talk, that her 18-year-old son, our grandson... Chase had died that evening of an unintentional drug overdose. We knew that Chase was in trouble. Um, We knew that in the last few months he'd been using drugs. We had, his family, his mom had tried everything, discipline, threats, intervention, doctors, everything she could possibly think of. Mike and I had prayed desperate late-night prayers, to what appeared to be no avail, and Chase took a pill that was laced with fentanyl, not knowing that's what was in it, um, and fell asleep, and died. You know, like all families, it's not that we're unacquainted with tragedy. We've experienced loss and death, and but this was brutal. It was. Shocking. It rattled my face. Um, I had a zillion unanswered questions, and I'm a question answerer, asker, and I don't like it when my questions do not receive answers. And there were no answers to my questions, none. And I was struggling. And then God used this chapter in Isaiah to comfort me, to console me, to draw me close to himself. It was what I needed. It was what I needed for me. And it began with the first verse is comfort. Cry out comfort. I want to speak to your heart, God was saying to me. I want to comfort you. And here was the comfort. It was verse 2. Because I knew, and my husband knew, that his warfare was ended and that his sin was forgiven and that his debt had been folded over and paid for and nailed to the door because Chase had called Mike a couple years earlier and asked him to come out to Arizona, and he said, he calls him Bapa. He said, "Bapa, I just need you to come because I need to get saved and I need to be baptized. Now, he was a long way from that when he took that drug that killed him. But I place my hope and my faith in this verse. His warfare was ended and his sin was forgiven and his debt was paid double and folded over. The comfort of a Savior who remains faithful even when we are not. And even John 3.16, I read, I said over and over to myself, for God so loved Chase, he loved Chase, he loved Chase, that he gave his only begotten son, that so Chase would never die, but would lift forever the promise of eternity, the comfort of a Savior, the comfort of my shepherd, who, as the Bible promises, left the 99 and went looking for my grandson, who was lost. And he found him, and he picked him up, just like Isaiah said, and he held him close to himself, and he carried him home. Let's pray. Oh, Father, sweet, sweet comfort is ours from your word, to our souls, to our hearts, to our minds, all of it, Lord, available, available to us. You are the God of all comfort. There is none that is left out. You have comfort for each one of my anxieties. You have a comfort to go with it. You have a comfort in loss. You have a comfort in death. You have a comfort in tragedy. You have a comfort in doubt. You have a comfort when we sin because you forgive us, Lord knowing you, trusting you, seeing you as I do. I want to be one that will go to the rooftops, to the mountaintops, and shout out who you are and what you have done, Lord. You are beyond compare. You're almost beyond comprehension, and yet you reveal yourself to us with such beauty, so specifically, so tenderly. Father, I know that in a group of this size, there are women who are, who are hurting, who came here thinking how desperately they needed a touch and a word from you. Oh, please let it be something that is said here tonight. Let it be something that is read in these verses. Let it be something that is said tomorrow, Lord. Would you reach out to your people, to these women? Would you, like that shepherd, draw them close to you? Pull them into your chest. Bring to them what they need, the beauty of salvation, the beauty of a God who's powerful with a strong arm but uses that same arm to reach down and gather up baby lambs. That God, that's the God. And if you're here tonight and um, you're hurting Well, I wasn't going to do this, but I am. If you're hurting, would you just stand up wherever you are right now? Don't be afraid. Stand up. Anybody else? Okay. There they go. Um, Those of you around them, would you just reach over and... Thank you. (laughs) I'm eye on you. (laughs) And... um, and it'll just give that, that touch, that, that, encouragement as, as I pray. Lord, hurting times. We are, we're, we're, hurting people. We're a group of hurting women here tonight, Lord. But you are, you are the answer to our hurt, Lord. And oh, I have seen how have you, you have learned the wounds that I have. You have taken those and you have used them to reveal more of yourself to me. Would you do that for those who are standing? There are situations which I don't know and I can't see, and maybe they can't even verbalize or speak. Would you, right now, as they're standing there in this room that's just full of love and comfort from these other women, would you touch them and encourage them and draw them close to you and reach down and pull them in, Lord? We're not asking for answers. We're not asking for solutions. We're asking for what you promise in this 40th chapter of Isaiah. We're asking for comfort, the sweet comfort of our comforter. Would you do that? And we will climb up to the mountaintop, and we will praise you and shout out who you are to all who will listen. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Kathy also asked me if I would give an invitation for anybody who wanted to receive Christ, and I told Kathy, "I'm terrible at that. You don't want me to do that. Um, I'm not. I'm not good at that. You know, my husband's an evangelist. I'm just a Bible teacher. But she has not left me off the hook all day long. And then I tried to get Kristen to do it, and she said, "No, I'm not going to do it. Where's that?" So this is my, this is the most uncomfortable I ever am because I've just not, but I I love Kathy and I've always told her I'll do anything you say. And then when she asked me to do that, I said, no. So I'm, (laughs) I'm sorry. So now I'm going to I'm going to change all that if you have never accepted Christ and I hope I have had something said something tonight that would make you know how much he loves you and how much he wants you and what he has for you if you would like that would you please stand right now where you are and I know that there are girls here who don't know the Lord so there's got to be somebody up there come on this is my most agonizing moment Come on I know No, I'm waiting. No, I am. I I stepped out on this. I'm not giving up yet. Anybody? Everybody? Okay, I told you, Kathy. Okay, I'm going to pray for you one more time. Lord, I pray for these girls, some who were just didn't want to stand up. I know that there's one here. I know that there's one here, but I don't know who she is, but I know that there's one. But um, don't let her go. Send somebody to talk to her. Some somebody to bring her. Take away all her fear, all her embarrassment, and bring her unto yourself. We're shouting it from the mountaintop to this one girl. This God of ours is amazing. Don't miss him. Amen.